Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. And one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Brothers and sisters, welcome to Praying for America. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, director of Priests for Life. Well, Christmas is upon us. And I wanted to take this time together on Praying for America to bring you some reflections about Christmas and its connection to politics. We are all very much uh, in, uh, on the forefront of what's happening in the political realm. We are all very much in the forefront of saving this nation and its system of government. We all believe in the principles on which our founders based our government, principles in the Declaration of Independence, the mechanics in the Constitution, But at Christmas season, when we're hearing the familiar gospel passages about the birth of Christ, when we're hearing the Christmas hymns, and when we're celebrating this central feast of the Christian faith, it's very appropriate for us Christian patriots to make very explicit for ourselves, for our children and grandchildren, for our fellow citizens, the connections between Christmas and politics. That's what I want to get into tonight. So thanks for joining me. We're going to have a good time here together. Be assured of our prayers for you each day, but if you want to leave some prayer intentions in the comments now so that everybody here can um, uh, pray for each other as we pray for America, let's do that, and uh, let's do that uh, together. You may also want to leave in the comments your own thoughts about, and maybe as we begin these reflections, what is the connection between Christmas and politics, just in a you know, in a sentence or two, or what, 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 how, do you, how do you understand that even now? And uh, we'll, uh, we'll share our thoughts together. Okay, let's turn to the Word of God. I want to read a specifically Christmas passage. It is the first um, uh, 18 verses of St. John's Gospel. This is a Christmas passage, but it goes begins in eternity. Let's let's turn to the Word of God. The beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone coming into the world, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice in the gift of Christmas, which is the gift of the Word made flesh. Your eternal Word, begotten, not made. Your life-giving Word, your Word which is light that cannot be overcome by darkness. Your Word has made Himself visible among us that we might know the meaning of life and the path to salvation. Father, as the world celebrates Christmas, may it welcome Christ. May it welcome in Christ all the teachings that He brings, all the grace that He bestows, all the salvation that He promises. May the welcome of the child in the manger mean the welcome of the one who preaches the Sermon on the Mount, of the one who commissions his disciples to preach to every nation, of the one who is the judge of the world, of the one who promises resurrection, of the one who tells us to take up our cross each day and follow him. May the welcome of the child be in us a welcome of everything that he stands for, everything that he brings, everything that he does a welcome of everything He asks us to do, and also, Father, a welcome of all our brothers and sisters who were made through Him and who were redeemed by Him. May our observance of Christmas be full and rich in meaning and in grace. We pray in the name of the One who came, who comes, and who will come again, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so this is a Christmas gospel. The Word, which existed eternally, became flesh in time. And it's not only that, that in Jesus we see God made visible, so that we could hear the words of God in our own language, that Jesus, every single word He speaks is the Word of God. No other member of the human family can ever say that. Every single action He takes is the actual, literal action of God. The Incarnation, which is what Christmas celebrates, not just celebrating His birth, celebrating the entire reality of the Word becoming flesh, is so, is so deep, is so amazing that we really, no matter how long we've believed in Christ, no matter how ardently we followed Him, 
We can also always penetrate more the mystery and marvel of the Incarnation. Every word He speaks, every action He takes are the words, the actions of Almighty God. This Christ, this Word become flesh, takes a further step. Not simply to tell us and reveal to us who God is. He does that. But it's to bring us a share in His life. Look at what that, that key verse here, aside from the Word became flesh, is to all who did receive Him, He gave the right to become children of God. He gave power to become children of God. We read in, the, in the, uh, St. Peter in the New Testament talking about us becoming partakers of the divine nature. This is the gift of Christmas. You know, we exchange gifts uh, at Christmas. What is that based on, theologically? It's not just, oh, spirit of generosity. Oh, it's deeper than that. There's an exchange of natures going on here. God takes upon Himself the gift of our humanity, if you will. Now, it all belongs to Him in the first place. We know that. But God takes upon Himself a human body and a human soul. You know, when He created Adam and Eve, He created a human body and soul, and He said, this is yours. Created Moses, this is a human body and soul. He said, this is yours. Created you and me, creates a human body and soul, says, this is yours. In the incarnation, He creates a human body and a human soul, and He says, this is mine. This is mine. This is Christmas. And of course, He began existing in a human body and a human soul, not at His birth. But nine months earlier, at his conception, Jesus was an unborn child. This makes our pro-life teaching even more significant. Jesus made the journey through the womb. Jesus was likewise growing, as Psalm 139 tells us, in marvelous hidden ways, in the secret places, beyond ordinary human sight. Of course, we can see now what happens in the womb better than at any time in human history, check out our website, childrenbeforebirth.com. But the point is that this incarnation occurred and He took upon Himself our humanity. And here's the exchange. He grants us a share in His divine nature. Now, we'll always be creatures. But we can live the life of God if He deigns, as He does in Christ, to share it with us. He has raised us, Paul says. He has already seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Paul says, do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? We are sharers of the divine nature. And so we become children of God, as this, as this beginning of the Gospel of John tells us. That's Christmas. That's the exchange of gifts at the most fundamental level that gives rise to gift-giving. And that's what gift-giving at Christmas needs to be reminding us of. It's not supposed to be a tool to satisfy our, our greed, our desire for possessions. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. It's supposed to be an invitation, a reminder and an urgent invitation to accept that gift of God's own life just as Jesus accepted the gift of our human life. Now, what does this have to do 
with politics and with our system of government. Everything. You know that the pagan view of government is that the law flows from the mouth of the king. Think about this. The king gets up in the morning. Maybe he had a bad dream. Maybe he had a stomach ache. Got up on the wrong side of the bed, as we say. And he can issue a decree. Out of his mouth comes a decree. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody had input into it. There was no discussion. And nobody has any appeal over and against it. Can issue a decree that changes or even ends the lives of people in his kingdom. The law comes from the mouth of the king. Needs no other justification. I said it, therefore it is law. That is, that, that's actually offensive. All right, that's offensive to human nature, human dignity, human freedom. Well, why do we find it so offensive? We understand humanity in the light of Christ. Christ's coming at Christmas, the Word becoming flesh, not only reveals to us the Father, reveals to us who we are. And by giving us the power to become the children of God, it goes completely against the political philosophy of the pagans. Why? Because the king, for out of whose mouth pagan philosophy says the law flows, is actually a human being subject to God. If, in fact, the law flows from the mouth of the king, then the mouths of the rest of the people don't matter, do they? Their votes, their voices don't count. There's no lobbying the king. Your voices don't count. You're people, you exist, but you're not equal to the king. And then comes the word made flesh. And we become children of the king. And the king of kings starts living inside of us. We do count. We do matter. We do have a voice. And that translates into having a vote. And that translates into being able to lobby those who write our laws. It means we write the laws ourselves through our elected representatives. It means that authority is service because now the people over whom anyone in government authority exercises any kind of authority are children of God. They can't be subject to Him in totality because they're subject to the one who's above the king. God has enabled us to jump over the head of any kind of earthly rulers or sovereigns and given sovereignty to us. Now we know our Declaration of Independence talks about the consent of the governed. It doesn't get any better than that. Governments are, are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. They're just powers, because if they don't have the consent of the governed, or if you don't serve them, or if you don't uphold in them the rights that the Creator bestowed, as the Declaration of Independence says in that same passage, well then, your, your, your authority is unjust. Your powers are unjust. But deriving their just powers from where? The consent of the governed. Think of it in these spiritual, biblical, theological terms. You're serving children of God. You better not only be careful to serve them rather than to lord it over them, but you better not tamper with their rights either and, and you listen to them. They're the ones 
who govern themselves. Now we see this, you know, there's a, this Christmas passage of John chapter 1, but also Matthew chapter 2. Now in the light of what I've said just now, how the incarnation of Christ then gives rise to a representative form of government, it gives rise to a, 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 the, the, the deepest understanding of popular sovereignty that, that we have, that the power is in the people. We have this passage in Matthew chapter 2 of the visit of the Magi, the three kings, if you will. Listen to this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. Now this familiar passage I wanted to bring up in this, in this context, because Christmas radicalizes and revolutionizes politics. Christmas forms the theological basis for power being in the hands of the people, accents our human dignity by giving us also the dignity of being sons and daughters of God. I mean, you can make the case for popular sovereignty and, and uh, you can make the case why the law flows from the mouth of the king is, is, is contrary to human dignity without even knowing about the incarnation. But what I'm saying is that the incarnation and the, the coming of the gospel of Jesus Christ has really revolutionized politics in the same direction but here you have the, the clear message that Jesus is the King. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Right from the beginning, because He was so eternally, so right even as a little baby, He is King. And the coming of kings, of course they're called magi, wise men, you know, who exactly were they? But traditionally we understand them as kings. They bring gold royal symbol of royalty and and they and they worship him they worship whatever earthly authority these magi had they they worship christ 
And because he is the head of the body, the church, because he shares with us his sonship, the fact that earthly powers and earthly riches come to his feet again accents this point. Because it is in Christ that we govern ourselves. And therefore, we'll govern ourselves according to His his will and His word. But there's another dimension here, too, that accents this this theme. That now we've we've got this hierarchy established now, whereby, yes, Christ's coming and His making us sons and daughters of God does not lead to the abolition of earthly government. Because one could think, well, if I'm a son and daughter of, son and daughter of God, if we've got direct access to the Father, why do we even need any earthly authorities? No, that's not the Christian way. That's not the biblical route. The biblical route is earthly authority stays in place. But that authority becomes service to sons and daughters of God. That authority becomes a protection for the dignity that people have, a dignity that has been enhanced, increased, accentuated by the incarnation which has given them a share in the life of God. This is the antidote to tyranny. And our founders, while not making the Declaration of Independence into a biblical treatise, nevertheless, their worldview was shaped by the Bible. And isn't it interesting that we see here that the earthly king, Herod, and it says all Jerusalem with him, was troubled by a baby. What kind of earthly king are you? You're scared of a baby. But he was. Why was he greatly troubled? In some instinctual way, he understood that the coming of this infant king meant the end of tyranny. In some instinctive way, he sensed that the designation of Jesus as king of the Jews was a threat to earthly kings. It's a threat to earthly kings only if they want to exercise tyranny, only if they want to lord it over rather than serve. You remember Jesus referred to this, you know, among the Gentiles, he said to his apostles, those in authority make their power felt. It cannot be that way with you. The greatest among you will be the one who serves the rest. Christianity revolutionizes politics. And those who are intent on tyranny and those who follow them are going to be threatened by this. That's why we see the Democrat Party today in America so threatened by movements like MAGA. It's the same thing playing out. Herod and all Jerusalem with him were troubled at the coming of this infant king. Because if the infant can be a king, there's something more going on here than what was going on in the life of Herod. Something new has happened. He's going to give kingship to all the rest of us. He was all troubled. That's right. The left is all troubled. They hold the reins of tyranny right now. They're trying to reimpose precisely what our founders broke away from and declared independence from. They're trying to reassert it. What's their biggest obstacle? What gets them afraid? Their biggest obstacle is Christmas, 
Their biggest obstacle is the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the immediate implication of that, which we see in a movement that President Trump is leading, saying, power belongs to you, the people. He keep, I, as I said at, at, at length in a, in a recent program here on Praying for America, he, every policy he gets behind, every accomplishment that he has made, every speech that he gives, starting in his inaugural address, he said, transfer of power here is happening not from one party to another, but from Washington, D.C. to the people. That's Christmas. That's a repudiation of the pagan notion of government. That is a reaffirmation. This whole MAGA movement, there, there, it, it's not a theological movement as such, but what I'm saying is ultimately the roots of why it is a true movement that we should follow is in fact a foundation that is laid in the theology and in the scriptures and by Christmas. That indeed we matter our voices matter, our dignity matters, our rights matter. You can't have dictators. And that's why, see, why is the other side calling President Trump a dictator? So absolutely, utterly absurd, so completely inverted, upside down, inside out, so totally contrary to the reality they are projecting upon him what they themselves are guilty of. And Christmas reveals all this. Christmas reveals this. The Word became flesh and he gave us power become the children of God. Of course we rule ourselves. Of course we govern ourselves. Of course we have a voice. We have a vote. We lobby. Our elected officials are accountable to us. Christmas should turn out voters like never before. Christmas should activate lobbying efforts like never before. Christmas should bring about rallies like never before where we reaffirm the principles of our Declaration of Independence. Because indeed, they are rooted in the worldview of the Word of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Christmas and for its political meaning. Lord, many miss uh, this dimension that, that the very idea that the people must give their consent in order to be governed is rooted in the fact that we have been given a share in divine life. Some used to speak of the divine right of kings, the divine calling of kings. We believe in the divine calling of each one of us. And that's why we have sovereignty. That's what Christmas is about. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas. May all the preparations we make, may all the gift giving we engage in, may all the festivities we enjoy remind us and root us more deeply in this word of the Lord, in this truth of the scripture, in this gift of grace. And Lord, thereby, thereby, we reestablish the greatness of America. The greatness of America, Lord God, is symbolized in Christmas. That we are a nation based on the fact that we are called by you to share your life. And in your life, there is freedom. There is the right to life. There is dignity. There is freedom. There is power and sovereignty. Lord, help our people to indeed understand the depths of this teaching. And protect us from those who would deny it or deprive us of it. We pray now together in the words that 
Jesus gave us, and we are able to say this prayer precisely because we've been given the right and the power to be sons and daughters of God because we call him our Father. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I want to show you this booklet before we finish. Christmas for the Unborn. How the mystery and magic of Christmas call us to end abortion. This little booklet has many meditations on the Advent and Christmas season, and you can find it at christmasfortheunborn.com. I want to invite you to uh, get a copy for yourself. Uh, one of the chapters is what I talked about today, the political meaning of Christmas. Pro-life leader Frank Pavone here. Stay connected with our ministry, endabortion.us, endabortion.us, our political site, Pro-Life Vote, prolifevote.com. And spread the word about this program. We'll talk to you soon. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.